Hello and welcome. Welcome back to All Things Urticaria. My name is Marcus. I'm here in Berlin at the Urticaria Center of Reference and Excellence at Charité. And I'm very, very, very happy to have with me Joao Marcelino. Bom dia, Joao. Hi, Marcus. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good and very happy to have you on the program. Look, um, over the past, I'd say, three months or so, we've really received a lot of feedback from listeners, um, physicians, but also patients. Um, and, and some of this feedback is on what people want us to talk about. And we've been picking up on this, and some of our previous episodes were based on listener requests. And this episode today is no different. We had a patient, um, Carmen, reach out to us and asked us to talk a little bit more about autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria. Now, I know that we touched on this in previous programs, but maybe we can do this from a patient perspective. What does it mean to have autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria versus uh, other subtypes of CSU? Well, we'll see where the conversation takes us. But before we start, Joao, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Where are you and uh, who are you, Joao? <laughs> well, I'm, a, an uh, I'm an allergologist and immunologist in Portugal, in Setúbal. I coordinate the cutaneous allergy uh, uh, section at our allergology department. And I'm currently a PhD student with you at Charité studying That's autoimmune urticaria. <laughs> That's right. And you've been here uh, several times. Always fun to have you here in Berlin. Uh, we've done several projects together already. You are a motor of urticariology in Portugal, <laughs> but also in, in, in Europe and beyond. And you are an expert on autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria. So this works out well. Good to have you here to talk a little bit about this. Uh, yeah, I'd say probably most difficult type, subtype of chronic spontaneous urticaria. Uh, you see a lot of patients with uh, autoimmune CSU, Joao? Yeah, yes, I do. I mean, actually my interest uh, in autoimmune urticaria started because from a clinical standpoint, I was always fascinated why at least most of CSU patients only have CSU on the skin, why don't other mast cells in other organs seem to have also symptoms? Yeah. And going from there, uh, I started investigating a little bit more of the of CSU pathophysiology. And then with autoimmunity carrier, there seems to be uh, something that tells us why uh, maybe this is mostly a skin disease. And then I started studying a lot of uh, autoimmune urticaria. I tried to do autogoserum skin tests and bad tests in all my patients. So I do tend to find uh, a lot of patients with autoimmune urticaria. And from a, a patient standpoint, I think it actually helps. I have a lot of conversation with my patients Ooh. before I even do the autogoserum skin test because they have to stop the antihistamines. Uh, so it's never something very easy for them to do. 
but I explain to them what can we draw from this. Oh. So we find uh, markers of autoimmune urticaria. What does this mean for you? And when I explained them that so far we know that autoimmune urticaria tends to be a more severe disease, oh. tends to be a more long-lasting disease, I also explained to them the, the differences in terms of a response to to treatment. We know oh. that they are more uh, resistant to antihistamines. They tend to respond later to omalizumab and patients do value that information. Yeah. And I've also found patients that after I started omalizumab, they thanked me that I warned them that they would probably respond later to omalizumab. Yeah. To omalizumab. So they did not get demotivated. I, I, it helps me to manage expectations, and um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Often, often I find myself saying, you know, this will work. It just will take a while, and uh, in in patients with autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria, and sometimes they just can't stand to wait that long. But we'll, maybe we'll come to uh, treatment a little bit later. You say you talk a lot to your patients with your patients before you do the tests uh, and look for biomarkers or defining criteria how often are you right from only the information that you get from patients on whether or not they have autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria i wish it would be more often <laughs> honestly <laughs> uh, but um uh... There are some things that they say that, and on an initial evaluation I do that kind of stand out. Mm. When patients clearly say that, for instance, their symptoms, they don't really have much symptoms during the day and that the urticaria really by the end of the day and at night really comes aggressively. Mm. That's something that uh, catches my, my ear right then because many times when they explain this like this i think oh this is not good mm -hmm. and uh, many times they'll have um, all the markers of autoimmune urticaria so that's a very easy question to ask and possibly one to guide your thinking why do you think this is could this be due to cortisol levels or i mean i really don't have an idea that explains well why autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria primarily manifests in a late evening, night? Yeah, uh, there, I can't really say uh, either why this happens. Mm. Cortisol levels may explain why uh, there may be uh, during the day and in the morning uh, a lowering of uh, CSU activity, mm. but there's still so much we still need to learn, but the, clinically, that's something that patients very easily say from themselves. And I don't, I try not to um, direct them to the answer. Yeah. I just think during the day, how is the urticaria? Is it always the same? And mm -hmm. when they spontaneously say, no, at night it's the worst and yeah. ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I, I think I remember a previous conversation we had where you said something else, and I'm not sure uh, 
I, I still have this right. In autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria, the signs and symptoms, wheels, angioedema, it, they occur daily or almost daily? Was that? They, they, they tend to occur, yes, they tend to occur almost daily, uh, at least five times. Uh, they tend to have, at, uh, during a week, uh, symptoms for at least five days of the week. Okay. It's very rare to find patients with uh, autologous uh, skin test and basophil uh, activation test, uh, both positive mm -hmm. in patients with uh, very, you know, symptoms only once a week. Mm -hmm. Still, mm -hmm. I think I found one one patient like that uh, okay if that's right. because it's it's really really uncommon and and you do the autologous serum skin test and the basophil test in all of your patients the uh, autologous serum skin test i try to do in all of our patients that come to our clinic okay it's a lot of work <laughs> But uh, I do try to do that, uh, and the basophil activation test—it's uh, not as easy to do it because we do need to have a, a basophil donor. So mm -hmm. that kind of complicates a little bit uh, the, the availability of the test because right. we also need to make sure the the basophil donor is a donor that reacts to the serum. Sure. It, previous experience as I did show that there are some donors that simply do not respond to the serum of right. uh, CSU patients. Right. No, absolutely. And and how often, let's, let's give our listeners an, an idea of how often do you find the autologous serum skin test to be positive, uh, the basophil test to be positive, both or only one? What's your, what's your hit rate? Well, well, uh, in previous in previous works, uh, either uh, autologous serum skin test or basophil test positive, I would say a little bit above forty percent, between okay. forty and fifty percent. I can find either one of them positive. Okay. Both positive, I would say uh, a little over a third can mm -hmm. be both positive. Yeah, and. And, you know, we've been hearing a lot about biomarkers like low IgE, uh, inflammation, systemic inflammation, um, autoimmune comorbidities, maybe also high disease activity linked to autoimmune CSU, you know, in addition to signs and symptoms coming in the afternoon or, or at night and uh, many days of the week. Uh, showing signs and symptoms. How do you make sense of all of this? Can Do you have in your head a ranking of what is more predictive than something else? So, uh, in terms of uh, looking at comorbidities and mm -hmm. thinking if a patient has autoimmune urticaria? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, There aren't really, I, I don't really have um, any uh, data that clearly say, uh, says that uh, autoimmune comorbidities, specific autoimmune comorbidities are linked to um, autoimmune urticaria specifically. Mm -hmm. So we know that in autoimmune urticaria, there's a higher 
the chance of patients having other autoimmune comorbidities, yeah. uh, either uh, systemic like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis yeah. or other autoimmune diseases. Well, we, you, you know, I think we published that autoantibodies, not necessarily disease-driving autoantibodies, but like antithyroid autoantibodies are more common in chronic spontaneous urticaria than uh, people who don't have urticaria, but maybe even more so in patients with autoimmune CSU versus non-autoimmune CSU. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in autoimmune urticaria, we do see a much higher rate of uh, autoimmune autoantibodies, mm -hmm. uh, specifically thyroid autoantibodies and uh, autoantibodies. And uh, this, e even when we relate uh, specifically TPO with an IgE, th that ratio, it seems to be uh, to correlate a lot with exactly. autoimmune urticaria. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's very a, interesting. Autoimmune patients do seem to have kind of a, a skewed uh, immune system to autoimmunity. Yeah. They seem to have lower tendency of uh, allergic diseases and a lower IgE exactly. threshold. So yeah. the, that ratio is actually quite uh, quite interesting to, to find in autoimmune patients. Yeah, I wonder if we are ready to rank these uh, different markers or features in terms of how specific they are for autoimmune CSU. Maybe that could also help to guide, um, especially physicians who do not have uh, access yes. to a basal test or who cannot do the autonomous serum skin test. One thing I've found that's quite, it seems quite promising, is the fact that uh, many results uh, seem to be the same throughout several teams who study urticaria. Yeah. For instance, we do know that in autoimmune urticaria, there seems to be a few markers that anyone can find, and they all seem to make sense in the context of autoimmunity. I mean, so the yes, most people have a hard time getting a basophil activation test or even performing routinely autologous skin tests. But we do know that this ratio, the TPO to IgE, is uh, a marker that is easily uh, studied. We've also found uh, in in our clinic and in a few studies we are conducting that a higher using a field count okay. uh, seems to uh, relate to an autoallergic um, uh, to an autoallergic type of CSU. So mm -hmm. a lower using a field count seems to uh, be a marker of uh, autoimmune urticaria. Uh, inversely, a high basophil count uh, seems to be uh, 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 sorry, uh, similarly, a high uh, basophil count seems to be uh, symptomatic of autoallergic urticaria. When mm. we have an autoimmune urticaria, we tend to have a lower uh, or even a complete absence of basophils in peripheral blood tests. And uh, also making sense with the, with the fact that we find that autoimmune urticaria is more severe, mm. we find higher levels of D-dimers and erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Okay. Yeah, I think it fits, it fits together 
um, you know, high disease activity, bringing lots of eosinophils and basophils to the skin, therefore lowering the um, uh, lowering the blood levels. Uh, it, I, I, I do not find it difficult to make sense of most of these markers, minus the one uh, uh, where you say this happens at night, you know, maybe yes. that's a, uh, still uh, still a mystery to me. But the one thing I really want to know is how this low IgE and autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria, how, how the two are linked. Now, they are, they're clearly linked, but why does autoimmune CSU make patients have low IgE or is it the low IgE that makes them have autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria. Maybe it goes both ways. I, I still don't understand. Well, I don't have a, a, definite, a definitive answer to that. <laughs> I think we're still uh, a little bit away from that. But to me, it makes sense in the way that we do have, you know, uh, Th1 and Th2 uh, part of the immune system. And we do know that autoimmune diseases tend to have a Th1 skewed immune mm. system. And we know that IgE tends to be Th, uh, Th2 skewed yeah. Uh, yeah. immune system. So I think that maybe the the alteration that's behind the the development of autoimmune urticaria starts there in where the the immune system starts to dysfunction. And yeah. then what comes after is the autoantibodies, the low IgE and urticaria. Yeah. That's, a, that's a nice hypothesis that can be tested. Any, in any case, I think we need to look more at cytokines. And uh, uh, I do believe that if we look harder and if we look in the right place, possibly the skin is better than the blood, that we will find cytokine patterns that are more linked to autoimmune and other cytokine patterns that are more linked to autoallergic. And this is also what treatment uh, shows us. Now, we, we have some case reports on anti-AL17 uh, working in patients who do not respond to omalizumab or anti-AL23. Now, clearly, um, targets of anti-autoimmune uh, uh, treatments rather than, let's say, uh, allergic uh, therapies. So we talked about antihistamines and omalizumab not doing as well in autoimmune as in other types of chronic spontaneous urticaria, but there are novel treatments, no mast cell depletion, mast cell silencing. Um, we have BTK inhibitors coming our way, which act on the autoantibody production. What are you most excited about, Joao? What, what do you wish for, for your autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria patients? <laughs> Well, uh, I actually, I'm actually looking forward to, uh, for the BTK inhibitors mm -hmm. and the cyclic eight um, uh, agonists. You know, mm -hmm. to try to silence the mast cells. I do. I would like to leave the uh, complete. Um, Elimination of the mast cells as a last resort. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I mean, we're we are not only de depleting the mast cells on the skin. We're basically depleting mast cells all over the body. So, but 
there are a few patients with autoimmune urticaria that I do believe will the only recourse we'll have to treat them will be mast cell depletion. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do hope the BTK inhibitors, the cyclic eight agonists, will be um, first, at least first in line before uh, we go that far. Yeah. I'm really, really excited because these patients do suffer a lot. Many times uh, we use omalizumab, we upscale omalizumab to 600 milligrams. They do get partially better. They tolerate their urticaria better, but they still have many symptoms. And I, I don't. Uh, what's your experience uh, in that regard? It's the same. It takes a long time. I, I'm ready to say that uh, omalizumab is not the treatment of choice in autoimmune CSU once we have better ones. No, right now we don't have anything that's better. Uh, we don't want to use cortisone. Sometimes I cheat a little bit with cyclosporin A until the omalizumab works, but it's a pain. It's a pain for these patients and also for us seeing them suffer for months and months and months before something happens on omalizumab. So like you, I'm, I'm very excited about new treatment options coming our way, especially for my autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria patients. So I, I agree with you. And one thing I've actually found that uh, it does help, it's a non-pharmacological uh, support uh, thing. In our department, we have a physician who's an allergologist who developed a specific, a specific skill set and uh, she ha is a trained uh, psychologist now, mm -hmm. uh, apart mm -hmm. from being a physician, and she uh, does specific uh, uh, interventions with these patients, mm -hmm. help them manage their stress, help them manage the how their disease affects their daily life. And that uh, helps somewhat the, these patients, but, and, it's something that we uh, I do tend to use in our most severe patients, mm. but again, we're basically trying to put to put a bandaid on it. Yeah. We're not yeah. actively curing the underlying uh, autoimmunity. Yeah, and and that's what we should not lose sight of. No, we are we're getting better at our understanding of the disease, also treatment of the disease, uh, counseling patients, including psychological help. But in the end, we want disease modification and uh, cure. That's the ultimate goal of our efforts, and that. Joao uh, brings us to the last question I have for you. It's already time to think about uh, the million dollar question. And if you have listened to previous episodes, you know I love this question. Now, what about you? One million dollars. Uh, okay, let's let's make it three million dollars. <laughs> five. I'm being generous today. Joao, five million dollars, but you have to spend it on autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria. It can be research, can be education, can be whatever you want. How would you spend that money? I would actually spend it on trying to uh, identify 
what exactly is different between mast cells throughout the body and how does that relate with the presence of autoimmunity? I mean, we know that uh, we have autoantibodies against the receptor, but what else is happening? Mm -hmm. Because those autoantibodies circulate throughout the body. What is different from mast cells on the mm -hmm. skin? Mm -hmm. why, uh, to explain why these autoantibodies activate them to not activate the other ones very, what other mechanisms yeah, very interesting complement is it a um, uh, coagulation system is it yeah. something else try to identify exactly the differences so yeah. we know further treatment and how autoimmunity carrier works i love that I love that answer because the question will not only make us smarter, but hopefully also um, develop uh, targeted treatments with novel targets that are not yet being explored. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Marcus, for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Folks, this is all the time I have with you out today. I had fun. I hope you did too. This was uh, an episode that is based on a listener request. So don't be shy. Let us know what you want us to talk about in our previous no, future episodes of All Things Urticaria. Do go and check out our previous episodes on All Things Urticaria because there already are a lot of different topics we touch on. And please check out the show notes. We will put Joao's studies right there. You can read up on his findings. Also, please uh, look at Cruise, the Chronic Urticaria Self-Evaluation app, You Care Level Up and You Care For You and all the many things that the You Care Network does for urticariologists, for urticaria patients, and anyone who's interested in this fascinating but very stupid disease to have. So thank you. Thank you for listening and uh, stay well until the next episode of All Things Urticaria. Bye-bye.